0: This week's show is brought to you by the good people at Octane Corporation. From energy, construction, entertainment, and even tackle Tuesdays, Octane is running the world. Take extra care to always follow the instructions, or you'll be put to sleep. With Octan Corporation, everything truly is awesome. And welcome to the Hi-Hat Film Podcast episode number 39 This week I am joined by the host of the Celluloid Skeletons Podcast Second time guest, Joe Morrison As he makes a case for Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood As potentially the 16th film to enter the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame It is a remarkable piece of neo-western, featuring an Oscar-winning performance from Daniel Day-Lewis, an unforgettable score from Johnny Greenwood, and frankly, some genius cinematography from director of photography Robert Elswit. But will that be enough for it to enter the hallowed halls of the Hall of Fame? Time will tell. As well as that, Joe will be tackling Attack of the Rotten Tomatoes. Having set the previous top score with an impressive 9 out of 10, can he go one better for the first ever perfect score? We shall soon see, but first, to get you up to speed, here is the trailer for There Will Be Blood.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, I've travelled over half our state to be here tonight. I couldn't get away sooner because my new well was coming in at Coyote Hills, and I had to see about it. Ladies and gentlemen, if I say I'm an oil man, you will agree. I'm a family man. I run a family business. This is my son and my partner, H.W. Plainview. You boys are a regular family business. Now you have a great chance here. My son is a healer and a vessel for the Holy Spirit. He has a church. You will be cast up and thrust back to position. I'm fixed like no other company in this field. I have a string of tools ready to put to work. That's why I can guarantee to start drilling and to put up the cash to back my word. I assure you, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what the others promise to do, when it comes to the showdown, they won't be there. a whole ocean of oil under our feet. No one can get at it except for me.
2: We'll offer 150000 for full title. When do we get our money,
1: Daniel? I look at people and I see nothing worth liking. Don't bully me, Daniel, please! I see the worst in people. We have a sinner with us. Get out of here, devil! I have a competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. I can't keep doing this on my own with these um, people.
0: here we go again with another submission for the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame. I'm pleased to welcome back to the show one of the most successful Hi-Hatters we've ever had. Uh, Joe Morrison, welcome back.
2: Thanks for having me, Michael.
0: Uh, always a pleasure, always a pleasure. You, you had a really good show last time you were on. You set the record on Attack of the Rotten Tomatoes with your... When you were doing talking animal films, you got an impressive score of 9 out of 10. It's a record that still stands tall to this very day.
2: <laughs> what can I say? I actually thought I was going to be horrible at Every other time I've played it along with listening, I have tanked, so uh, I'm, I'm not expecting too much today.
0: Well, on the last show that we did, I had a chance to play it myself, and I didn't realise just how how painful the game can actually be but uh so I I can definitely relate to it. Now you're going to be uh having another run at that a bit later on. And uh a really really great film to be talking about for the uh the Hall of Fame today.
2: Yes, uh yeah, it's uh There will be blood by Paul Thomas Anderson mm-hmm. uh starring Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, I'm sure
0: we'll get to that a bit more. The fact, the fact that I introduced it as a really great film might might be a bit of a spoiler of what's coming, out, coming <laughs> a bit later, but uh, we'll see about that. Since you were last on, Joe, we, we've changed things around a little bit. We've done away with the quick-fire questions just because it was a hassle to come up with new questions for a different guest every week. I can imagine. And we have plumped on the Hi-Hat Film Questionnaire, which now is just the same 10 questions for every guest. I, I sent you a couple of the questions before you. You want to take a, take a wee stab at it? Uh,
2: yeah, sure. Um, so the first question I got was, what was the first film I'd seen in the cinema? Yes, indeed. Uh, I actually, just before you came round, I phoned up my mum just to, to double-check.
0: Oh, I like the research.
2: Um, She couldn't remember. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to just but for what I thought it was it's my first memory of being in the cinema anyway and that was Bambi it must have been a re-release I'm not mm-hmm. that old mm-hmm. um, I don't remember that much of the film really I remember the the ice skating bit or the bit where they're sliding around on the ice mm. I remember the rabbit thumper yep and I remember that there was a Winnie the Pooh short before All the right. the film as well and so that's about it
0: <laughs> you, so you weren't like many, many children at the time, completely traumatised by it then.
2: No, clearly not, because I seem to be focused mainly on The Rabbit and uh, and the sliding about in the ice.
0: Yeah, it's just a circle of life, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alright, uh, good start. Uh, next one, top five directors.
2: Okay, this one was really, really tough, um, but I, I've managed to get down a definitive five
0: that's impressive I, I, I got it down to six oh, don't, I mean
2: I've now. got like a, almost three pages worth of honorable <laughs> mentions yeah. as well but um, so uh, the first one I went for was Alfred Hitchcock who Master of Suspense mm-hmm. he has made some of my favourite films and he's got one of the most consistently excellent filmographies as well I, I mean I, there are a few duds in there uh, I'm thinking Frenzy But, uh, you know, you you can watch pretty much any of his films and and really, you know, take something away from it. He's a a master filmmaker. Uh, The next director is Stanley Kubrick, another sort of uh, very masterful director. I'd say he's probably more of a technician than a storyteller in comparison with Hitchcock. That's not to say that he can't tell a story very well but he really brings a, a high technical quality to his films. Films like Barry Lyndon that are mm. lit by candles and, and all sorts of crazy, uh, innovative stuff.
0: Do you have a favourite Kubrick?
2: I do, yes. I'll get to that a wee bit later, because right, it's okay, uh, it, 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 it's going to crop up a wee bit later on. Um, the next film uh, filmmaker would be uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Um, I genuinely think that he is probably one of the most important american filmmakers working today um he's almost like at least amongst my sort of film geek friends his films coming out are like an event movie it's it's like a <laughs> superhero movie for us uh so yeah he I, again I've, I've watched all his films apart from his first film actually which is quite hard to track down yeah um and there's not a bad one in there he's got a pretty much 100% record so Mm -hmm. yeah he's got to go in there I also wanted to have someone who was a more contemporary director as well Um, the next filmmaker I've got is David Lynch Mm -hmm. Um, he's someone who can really sort of set up a mood and an atmosphere and there's this sort of really good tension between the sort of psychological realism that he has where you're sort of seeing things filtered through a character's psyche And then also, like, a highly surreal quality to his films as well. And this sort of blending, and you're not quite sure what's happening, what's imagined, and, and, you know, what's actually how people are perceiving things. He's a really intriguing filmmaker. He's also really funny. And I think that a lot of people kind of forget that, that he is actually, a lot of his things are highly amusing. I'm thinking, have you seen Mulholland Drive? Oh, I, The the guys that are drinking coffee in that meeting, it's one of the most, like... (laughs) intensely like it's really intense but it's also really really amusing it's it's great uh dan hadaya going off his nut with a uh, golf club or something as well <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just really really funny sequence mm. and the last filmmaker i've gone for is someone who uh like lynch actually i don't think he's made a film for quite a while there's a japanese filmmaker called uh takashi Kitano or mm-hmm. beat takashi no oh, yeah, yeah um he's probably most well known for in this country uh being the main guy, the end boss at the end of Takeshi's Castle Uh, but he has made some uh, really, really good films he he made a a lot of Yakuza and cop movies Um, Hanabi is excellent Um, he made uh, the Blind Samurai movies Toichi as well a few years ago he's a really uh, interesting director I like this sort of Japanese school of filmmaking Mm -hmm. and I I didn't want to say uh, Kurosawa because to be honest I've only seen Maybe three or four of his films. I, I didn't feel enough of an authority to include yeah. in that. Uh, so yeah, Takeshi Kitano.
0: Well, good for you for being uh, having a conscience on that, and not just <laughs> going for the trendy hipster answers. Good, good for you. Uh,
2: top top five actresses. Okay, uh, Kate Blanchett. I'm a, a big fan of Kate Blanchett. I, I think that she brings a sort of elegance and sophistication to a lot of her roles. Mm. Um, I, I thought she was outstanding in uh, Blue Jasmine. That was that really, really. was something else. That was, yeah. It was. It was such a multi-layered performance, and it really sort of uh, took me back. Really, it was. It was incredible. Tip big boys, tip big because you get good service, and they count on tips. You know, someday
1: when you come into great wealth, you must remember to be generous.
2: Mom said you used to be okay, but you got crazy. Yeah, and then you talk to yourself. Wow. Second up, I've got, uh, Jodie Foster.
0: Ah, yeah.
2: Uh, big fan of Jodie Foster's. Mm -hmm. Doesn't work enough for my liking, to be honest. She, she's got quite a sort of sparse filmography, really, when you think for how long she's been making films, uh, since the mid seventies, really. Mm -hmm. Um, she doesn't really have that many films on. It's always a, a treat to see her in a film, even in sort of throwaway nonsense, like Maverick. I find her really enjoyable in Maverick. Um, Next up, I've got recent Oscar winner, Julianne Moore.
0: I I have a feeling she's going to be constantly on people's top fives whenever I ask this question.
2: I think so. I think because, probably because she's not quite as uh, intensely lauded as the likes of Meryl Streep. Yeah. But she's as consistently excellent as Meryl Streep. Mm -hmm. I think that that gives her this sort of underdog quality that a lot of people sort of find charming as well
0: yeah she's a bit more approachable yes like, yes she's maybe.
2: not this sort of grand old dame of cinema no like street uh yeah like streep is she's yeah. uh also got like a really diverse and varied film sort of yeah. career which is which is great and also Maude lebowski i couldn't Maude lebowski yeah. <laughs> she's got to be in uh got to be in the, the actors uh next up i've gone for like a more classic hollywood actress uh Gilda herself, Rita Hayworth. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Now, I did say that I wasn't going to put Akira Kurosawa in because I've only seen a few of his films. I've only seen about three or four of Rita Hayworth's mm-hmm. films, but they were incredible and really left an indelible mark in my mind. So um, I'm going to include her in that. I also wanted to have someone that's known for being in black and white movies, uh, mm-hmm. just to show us a, sort of a breadth of knowledge there. And uh, the last person I have is Marion Cotillard who yes. is just amazing just incredible everything I've seen her in she's, she's blown me away I think she's probably better in, in French mm-hmm. uh, but she's still quite good in the sort of English speaking roles that she's been in um, but yeah she's mm-hmm. she's brilliant two days one night completely uh, blew my yeah. socks off
0: I mean, it's not much of a criticism to say that someone is a better actor in their native language. Than I, know, the I form, know, I know, but if that's I know. I, I suppose can I suppose
2: there's probably a lot of people though who'll be mainly familiar with her from uh, Dark Knight Rises yep. and, and Inception. But I would sort of recommend that you check yeah, out some of her French films, uh, like I say, uh, Two Days, One Night, and uh, Rust and Bone Rust is and also an incredible film. Yeah, yeah, brilliant in that.
0: Great. Okay, uh, the top five actors. Then?
2: Uh, okay, right. I just want to give a, a wee honourable mention to a couple uh, people here. I've not done any honourable mentions so far. All right. But so these I, are not your top these five. are not in the top. But uh, it, this was also quite tough, and I've got like a sort of slightly out of left field answer in my top five. So all I right. want to give these two guys the the kudos they deserve. So first of all, I, I just want to give a wee mention to Cary Grant, who mm-hmm. is just amazing. He's basically the ultimate George Clooney. George Clooney's basically always doing a Cary Grant impression, <laughs> yeah, as far as I'm yeah, concerned. Yeah, yeah and uh, second of all I'd like to sort of mention Steve Martin because I think that comedic actors are often underrated and he is incredible and his comedy ranges from like really absurd sort of jerk uh, you know silly wild and crazy guy to something a bit more sophisticated like say Roxanne and then he can also pull your heartstrings. well not necessarily him but he can be in a sort of slightly more sentimental film like uh, Planes Trains and some of his dramatic work is also quite good and he's someone that when a film of his comes out I get a little bit excited even though they're normally rubbish nowadays I get a yeah. wee bit excited about Steve Martin
0: He's another one like Jodie Foster where he doesn't doesn't work as often as a man of his talents perhaps could
2: I think so I think as well he, he kind of came to the, the sort of decision because he was getting older and it's, it's maybe not not as funny to see uh, older men being silly. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Maybe some later Leslie Nielsen movies sort of prove that. <laughs> but the actual top five I've got is uh, Jack Nicholson, right? Just amazing. And again, someone with like such consistency, I think, is what I'm looking for when I'm looking through the, the sort of uh, their filmography consistently excellent got some of my favourite performances I really love him in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest Mm -hmm. I really love him in The Shining I really love him in uh, Five Easy Pieces as well which I think is maybe lesser known but very 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 good Um, then I've got Humphrey Bogart oh yes probably the coolest guy I've ever been in a film just so cool even in again lesser films there's there's something really charismatic about him and you can't sort of take your eyes off of off of him when he's on the screen uh i've gone for a more recent actor next up uh and that's michael Fassbender. yes he is again very very consistent across his career um i haven't seen him well i can't think what was his last film that he, that he had
0: He's a future person. Yeah, probably, from? probably. And Sorted Frank's his accent out Charlie in that as well. That, I missed so. Frank. I missed uh. Frank. So
2: it's on my it's on my rental list, but it's not arrived yet. Yeah, I, I well to yeah no, it definitely looked right up my my mm-hmm. street actually. Um, so yeah, he's he's someone that again I, I sort of I can imagine him in the future being regarded as as one of the great screen actors of the twenty first century. Uh, and for the last two I've gone for character actors because again I kind of think that they're often undervalued mm-hmm. so uh, Robert Duvall, yep, he's almost like a reassuring presence for me I don't know why but every time I see Robert Duvall I just feel a l- I can relax a little feel at ease and calm down and it's okay even if the film is absolutely <laughs> terrible Robert Duvall normally Pretty good. Oh, he's no, a consigliere. He exactly. Makes sure everything's
0: going to be all right.
2: I genuinely think that uh, Godfather Three is miles worse because there's no Robert De in it. Mm-hmm. George Hamilton. Oh, come on. Yeah. He's all tan. That's all he is. <laughs> and okay, this is the weird one. And again, it, maybe he's not got the most consistent CV. He pops up in some weird things. In fact, he pops up in so many things. It's uh, Peter Stormare.
0: Yes. Yeah, all right.
2: I love Peter Stormare mm-hmm. Peter Stormare always seems to be playing Peter Stormare in films <laughs> um, which is it's just brilliant although sometimes he's like a quiet Peter Stormare mm-hmm. and then other times he's a hyperactive Peter Stormare but you can never get away from the fact that this is raw, unfiltered Stormare that you're witnessing <laughs> um, he's been in I, I guess he'd probably be most known for playing the sort of Angry Swedish man in Fargo, yep. and one of the nihilists in The Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also pops up in stuff like uh, Minority Report. Um, I can't even. He's in an episode of Seinfeld. I watched that episode just S- yesterday. Slippery Pete. <laughs> <Yep>. Slippery Pete. <laughs> he he's uh, he's someone that like he's always just off the chain. That's yeah. what I love about him. He's always <laughs> off the chain. There was a film I watched recently called The uh, Dylan Dog Dead of Night. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, with Brandon Routh. With Brandon Routh, yep. yeah. And he plays like a werewolf, but for, for whatever reason he decides to like sort of kinda of growl and bark and snap his teeth in Brandon Routh's f- face. Even when he's not in a werewolf form though, he's just a normal guy. Um so yeah, I, I like his sort of eccentricity and then you know, I wanted to have again character actors in there.
0: It's a it's a cracking shout, it really is, and uh good for him to get the finally get the, the plot it's exactly. so richly deserved. Exactly. Alright, that's a that's a hell of a list joke. Congratulations on that. Uh favorite comedy?
2: Okay. Uh this one was also really tough. In fact a lot of these questions were really tough. Mm-hmm. I've opted for airplane. Yeah. Uh mainly because of the the fact that there's probably about three jokes every minute. Yeah. And it just never stops. No. Uh and it does have I don't know, so many of my favourite jokes. I love the uh the one well obviously the surely you can't be serious. I'm always serious, and don't call me Shirley. Um, I, I really like the one, though, when he's like, we need to get this man to a hospital. And the air steward says, a hospital? What is it? And his reply is, it's a big building with patients and doctors in it, but that's not important right now. Just a brilliant film, a brilliant film. Yeah. Everything in it is just a joke. Everything in it's a joke. Yeah, Sight gags and everything.
0: And it's, yeah, they they go for the... The philosophy where if a joke doesn't land don't worry because the next one will be along in just a minute and yeah, just,
2: yeah yeah it's it's outstanding
0: yeah terrific
2: it's like i picked the wrong week to quit drinking
1: looks like i picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines looks like i picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue
2: favourite sci-fi? Okay, so this goes back to my Kubrick thing then. It's 2001. Alright. Um, I love that film so much and it's, it, I guess it's kind of a similar vein to uh, There Will Be Blood in a, in a way that it's confident enough in its storytelling to not sort of have to rely on on dialogue or exposition. It's confident to just show and not, and not tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also got an incredible sort of score of, of different sort of classical music and the music and the images work really well together and it's very ambitious uh, it's, it's just a fantastic film also Great. it has Hal in it again another incredible character
0: Daisy Doozy <laughs> alright uh, your favourite animated feature
2: Ah uh, right okay well I've I've went for Toy Story three mm-hmm. because it really got a strong emotional response out of me I was sobbing like a child mm-hmm. when I was watching Toy Story three ironically I don't think I would have been sobbing if I was a child but I think it was this sort of way that it, it sort of captures that moment of growing up, moving on, time to put away childish things and you know, maybe you lose some of these things but the memories remain there and yeah, I was bubbling. I was I was all over the place and I was so glad it was a 3D movie so I could just keep my uh, 3D <laughs> glasses on while while the
0: lights went up. Yeah. And are are you happy, disappointed, angry that they are going back for a fourth installment?
2: I'm 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 not going to lie, I'm a little bit disappointed. Uh, I'm not angry because my anger's not going to solve anything, and who knows it could be a good film because I remember thinking that Toy Story Two just sounded like a bad idea, yeah. so you know who knows
0: I think for me like I'm sure it will be a good film, but I'm just you know you wrap you wrap something up so perfectly why why go back? well, it would be
2: interesting if it wasn't Woody and Buzz mm. and all of the other toys that you're familiar with, but it was maybe a different set of toys, mm. but the same kind of conceit i, I yeah. guess of you know what toys get up to when we're not looking oh, well. possibly i mean that's that's one thing because i agree that they did sort of end that that trilogy so strongly that i don't want to see them with their their new owner spoilers. Yeah. sorry
0: all right well, well we'll see how that turns out uh favorite soundtrack slash score
2: okay well uh the, the film that I'm talking about today There Will Be bloods, probably one of my favourites but I don't want to mention that and no. a, another one of my favourites is Koi Anaskazi which I, I did last time ah, yes. so I don't want to mention that either um, I was going to say Once Upon a Time in the West but then I didn't remember someone else had said it mm-hmm. so I'll go for Blade Runner All instead right. which is a, a really good soundtrack by uh, Vangelis or Vangelis I'm not sure how you pronounce it <laughs> This one was really, really hard because, I don't know, I, I kind of draw things from, from even bad films. Mm-hmm. I, I would say Die Hard 4.0, though. Right. Um, It really, really cheesed me off because as much as I've had so many arguments with people about what's better, this or uh Indiana Jones 4, and my sort of defense of Indiana Jones 4 is that no matter how bad it is... At least it's still Indiana Jones. Yeah, Die Hard 4.0 or Live Free uh, or Die Hard or whatever I'll it's called in America. Die hard, yeah, um, that that's not that's not John McClane. That's some superhuman bulletproof <laughs> killing machine. There's no uh, vulnerability to him at all, and it's also sort of started this sort of cycle of indestructible, unkillable super guys that we kind of. Had moved on from after the, the Schwarzenegger Stallone era, mm. which, you know, I, I enjoy those films, but, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to watch my non-superhero movie action movies feature guys who are essentially just superheroes without the bright colours. Mm. Uh,
0: that's a, a fair point, certainly. I mean,. Talking about indestructible super. I mean, doesn't Indiana Jones survive a nuclear bomb in the fourth Indiana Jones
2: world? Yeah, he does. Yeah, and he he goes into a fridge though, which is exactly the kind of thing that you could imagine Indiana Jones doing though. And he's still he's still Indiana Jones. He's still a bit rubbish. He still gets beaten up a bunch. Mm-hmm. He's still making quips about like, God, oh, it's not the it's not the years, it's the mileage and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. It's you know you can still recognise the characteristics. Whereas the the Die Hard four John McLean is just sullen and he's like a weird. He's almost like Jack Bauer from 24. It's mm-hmm. not It's not John McLean anymore.
0: Yeah. I mean, to be fair, the fourth Indiana Jones film had me until Shale LaBeouf started swinging the vines with the vines. Yeah, monkeys, yeah. That's yeah. well Yeah,
2: that no, I was, I was up, I was fine with the gophers and yeah. fridges getting nuked and yeah, yeah, all yeah, sorts. And then after that, swinging in the trees and then there was the ants eating a, a man as oh, well. Oh, I quite like that. It was just really bad CGI, yeah. I thought. Yeah, fair
0: enough okay uh, what was the last thing you saw in the cinema
2: okay well the last thing I saw in the cinema was part of the Glasgow Film Festival mm-hmm. uh, so it was Mad Max 2 in the IMAX uh, in Glasgow Science Centre um, it was great I, I mean I've seen that film a lot of times before it was just really really cool to see it on, on a big screen yeah. um, the transfer actually was pretty good a lot of people were worried about it and they actually IMAX put a thing before the, the screen and saying this is not actually a true IMAX experience it's been sort of re- rejigged for other purposes mm-hmm. it held up pretty well actually there was a couple of sequences where it was maybe a wee bit grainy a couple of the night sequences didn't look very good but right. apart from that it was actually a really really good transfer
0: mm-hmm. are you excited to see tom hardy have a stab at the role
2: i am actually really excited the trailers look amazing look yeah really
0: it, really cool it looks pretty pretty crazy
2: yeah well it looks as crazy as mad max 2 which you know is, is, is yeah. yeah it's great though it, that there's still far out mad action movies getting made
0: yeah good well we'll look forward to that one alright jolly good. I think we're ready to to move on to the game for which you are currently king returning champion it's the (laughs) Attack of the Rotten Tomatoes on film scores on the uh, Rotten Tomatoes website. You're given a category or you got a choice of three categories and then you get ten films within that category and we'll see how you do. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so your three categories and uh, some of them I think I offered you before but I'm just trying to get rid of them. You can have non-Harry Potter movies starring uh, the cast members from the Harry Potter films so that's okay. just basically <laughs> every film that's had a British actor in it over the last 15 years. You can have movies where Brandon Gleason dies, or you can have found footage films.
2: Oh, eesh. eesh. Uh, I'll go for the Harry Potter actors. But All right,
0: it. sounds good. So these are films that have that star at least one cast member from Harry Potter, but they're not the Harry Potter movies themselves. Your starting off point is going to be Sister Act, which of course starred Maggie Smith in the of course, sort of, of course, superior role. Uh, giving Whoopi Goldberg a stern telling off whenever she would sneak out to the bars. (laughs) The starting score for that was 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. Sounds about right. Your second film is the film starring Harry Potter himself. It is Woman in Black. Or The Woman in Black. Do you think that scored higher or lower than 71%?
2: I'm going to say higher. Higher?
0: Yeah. Higher?
2: Yes, I think so.
0: It did very well, The Woman in Black, not so much with the critics it has to be said though 66% so you cannot better your your former score. I'm afraid Joey. I'm throwing in the towel already <laughs> then Michael <laughs> just, just, just <laughs> jack it in there uh, 66% for the woman in black uh, next up was one of the surprise hits from last year it is uh, Belle which is kind of the period drama it stars Tom Felton who played one of the blonde evil oh yeah for yeah yeah Slytherin House yeah uh, 66% was the score to beat. I think Bell scored higher or lower than that?
2: Oh, This is a much more accurate depiction of how I, I normally fare this game. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to say higher than
0: 66%. With 83%, you are 1 out of 2 so far, so congratulations. Uh, next up is Hermione's kind of breakout uh, offering uh, after the Harry Potter films, it is the Perks of Being a Wallflower. is the score to beat, starred Ezra Miller as well, from We Need to Talk About Kevin.
2: Oh, right, okay, well, I seem to remember that it was quite well received.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll go go for higher, I'll go for higher. There was 2% between the two films, Bell came in at 83%. Perks of Being a Wallflower, 85%, two out of three. Good job. Next up, Robert Patterson. Before he was in the Twilight films, he was in Harry Potter films. Apparently, he was Cedric Diggory. All right, I'm glad. I'm glad one of us knows that. After his Twilight success, he then went on to to star in to hook up with David Cronenberg, and uh, he was in a film where he rode around in a limo trying to get a haircut. Cosmopolis.
2: Uh, I've not seen it. I remember. I remember when it came out. Um, yeah, I'm going to go for lore because I think I, I think even Cronenberg fans were bored by it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, sixty-four percent for Cosmopolis. So, yeah, not not a terrible offering, but you know, with no vampires, what's what's it?
2: <laughs> no sparkling either.
0: True. All right, the next film has a triple threat of Harry Potter talent in it, featuring the voices of Rupert Grint, David Tennant, and Jim Broadbent. It is Postman Pat: The Movie. Sixty-four percent is the score to be. Now,
2: if I'm wrong here. I'm calling foul. <laughs> this has got to be lower than 64%.
0: It is lower than 64%. It's shockingly not as low as you might think. Getting a bizarrely respectable 50%. Positive. 50 Yeah, 50%. Postman Pack comes there, split opinion right down the middle there. Uh, yeah. Baffling, baffling. All right, next up is the Alan Rickman, Colin Firth, Cameron Diaz. If I give, throw those names at you, would you be able to name the film?
2: I think I could, yeah. Uh, Gambit.
0: Yeah, Gambit from a couple of years ago. Just the classic farce, Joe. It was classic. Well, classic yes. farce. Did it score higher or lower than 50%? Well,
2: no, I remember when we were doing a film journalism course and there was a sort of class group and they went, went out to see that film. You might have been in that group of people. And not one person came back with anything positive to say about it. So I'm going to say more than 50%. Yeah,
0: with a fairly miserable 18% uh, gambit came in there. All right, well, you're you're definitely on course at the moment. Uh, could tie your high score as we move on to the 2001 Helena Botham Carter remake. It was a remake uh, made by her her directing husband is Planet of the Apes, which I maintain is one of the worst films ever made, but did it score higher or lower than 18%?
2: I'm going to say, just on the strength of the monkey makeup, or the ape makeup, (laughs) that it's a, a a touch over 18%.
0: With a frankly baffling 45%, I mean that's almost... That's stranger than Postman Pat bringing in 50%. It is quite weird. The yeah.
2: ending of that movie is just absurd. It's just,
0: I mean, the whole thing is just... Uh, uh, yeah, 45% for the, the Planet of the Apes remake. So doing well. You've got one, two, three... Three left to go. Your next one up is, again, from a couple of years ago, starring Michael Gambon. Uh, and Maggie Smith is in there. It was kind of a... Well, it was a Dustin Hoffman-directed comedy quartet. Mm. with all the kind of aging opera singers in a in a retirement home. 45% is your score to beat. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's probably in its 60s or something. Yeah, very respectable 79%. Oh. I mean, yeah, I think that's one of those examples where nobody had anything much bad to say about it, but probably not an awful lot of great things to say about it either. But yeah, 79%. Uh, after that, you have... You have uh, the all-singing, all-dancing, all-wonderful Mamma Mia, which stars the Grint's mother, I believe. Julie Waters. Yeah, that's the one. Julie Waters, I think, uh, pops up in that. So 79% for Mamma Mia, higher or lower?
2: Well, it was a smash hit. I mean, it, it really pulled in the punters, but... Uh, I don't know. I watched a bit of it, actually, just out of morbid curiosity recently, and it was it was really strange, a really strange experience. I can't imagine too many critics liking it so I'll say lore. lower
0: lower uh, with 54% you are correct you have uh, 8 out of 9 so far Mamma Mia features one of my favourite uh, tropes in cinema which is the the non Non musical background actors just completely belting out songs <laughs> they've got no business doing. I absolutely love that. Piers Brosnan he joins Russell Crowe from late and in, mm. in terms of just wonderfully terrible musical performance. It's like an avant garde thing, really, isn't it? His, his
2: performance of SOS is is just bizarre. That's yeah. when
0: I was like, I will wait till Pierce sings SOS and then I change the channel. Yeah. Ah, it's it's worth it, worth the price of admission alone. Alright, finally you have a chance to, to do the repeat the double nine nine out of ten, if you can if you can get this one. So your final film with fifty four percent to beat is starring Alan Rickman, Helena Bothan Carter, and Timothy Spall, is Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Fifty four percent score to beat. It's another musical offer.
2: Hmm. Well, okay. Uh I'll say I'll say it's higher. Why not?
0: Yeah. With 86%. Would you believe it? He's done it again. It's nine. Nine out of ten, Joe.
2: I don't know what's happened. I think I must just be a sort of big game player or something. Yeah. Because whenever I'm playing along, I'm, I'm rubbish.
0: Maybe you're just, you've got a knack for picking the, the easy categories or something Well, I
2: didn't like want to pick Brandon Gleason because uh, I, I, I don't want to spoiler <laughs> any films. And fine food films are generally all rubbish, so that would be really hard.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, there you go again. So... After two runs of Attack of the Rotten Tomatoes, you've you've got only two out of twenty points dropped. It's a that's championship form, oh, yeah. Yeah,
2: no, that's uh, 99. The that's, 99 kid. I
0: don't know. Remarkable, remarkable. Alright, well, that aside, and that is that is quite something. Let's 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 move swiftly on to the film that you are submitting. You mentioned it earlier in the show. It is the 2007 Paul Thomas Anderson film, There Will Be Blood. Why don't you start us off by giving us a summary of the plot?
2: It's quite a tough film to summarise, actually, because with more thought about it, there's not that much that happens, but there's a lot you can say. Uh, so I'll try, and, I'll try and rattle through it anyway. Uh, it's, uh, there Will Be Blood is the story of Daniel Plainview, a prospector in the Californian oil boom of the early 20th century. He's played by Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, the film opens in 1898 with Plainview's first major success when he discovers a, a silver load deep in the desert then it moves forward a few years to him establishing an oil company uh, one of his co-workers is, is killed in a drilling accident and leaves behind an infant son who Plainview adopts uh, and then the bulk of the film takes place nine years later in 1911 when uh, Plainview is tipped off to the location of a an untapped oil reservoir in a rural part of uh, California called Little Boston uh, he goes along with his son and his partner H.W. and uh basically tries to buy up all the land make all the the money Uh, while he's there he comes into sort of confrontation really with uh, an aspiring young preacher called Eli Sunday played by Paul Dano and from there we watch the sparks fly as their sort of ambition and and greed and and competition sort of escalates That's that's really the the summary, that's what I'll give you anyway (laughs)
0: This is the second film that you're submitting for the Hall of Fame. Your first was Koya Niskazi, which was this wordless, poetic documentary about uh, you know, human being's relationship to the planet and uh, the way it treats their resources. But it was dialogue-free. There's no no dialogue in the first 14 and a half minutes of There Will Be Blood. What is it you have against the spoken word in cinema, Joe?
2: It's not that I have anything against spoken word in cinema, to be honest. I just think that uh, being able to show something without having to rely on someone explaining what's happening is probably one of the most cinematic things you can do. You can't do that in a book. You have to use words in a book. You could probably do it in maybe comic books or something, but I mean, apart from that, you don't you don't have that in any other art form, and I think it's probably, like I say, the most cinematic thing that's that's possible is to tell a story using a combination of sound and images. And whether that sound is dialogue or not, it doesn't really you know it doesn't really matter as long as you, you understand what's happening.
0: Do you remember the first time you saw it? Was a, a trip to the cinema in two thousand and seven? It
2: was several trips to the cinema in no two thousand and seven. I remember when I so I remember when I first saw it. Um, I'd read some reviews and they were all pretty positive sitting in the cinema and the, the lights go down and, and the sort of, just the uh, production company title card comes up and this strange discordant note starts sounding <laughs> and it gets louder and louder and louder and louder mm-hmm. and then the, the sort of picture fades up on this, this desert and it keeps getting louder and louder and more intense and by that point I was like, wow, whoa whoa, what is this? And I was blown away, completely blown away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to go and tell everyone about it and I had to to go back and see it, I must have went about three times, bringing b- different people with me. I was almost like an evangelist for this film. I was like, you've got,
0: to-. I was like Eli Sunday. It's like, you've got to come along. You've got to come along. <laughs> I mean, that opening shot, I mean, the way that the music does swell up and like the way it builds, you think it's going to, it would almost be like it's the opening of a horror film and you're going to open up on like the horrible image of a dead body or, or something, but it, you just get this kind of this random shot of the countryside. Yeah. And th- but then it comes back a little bit later on when he's kind of dragged himself up out of the pit and he's got, and it sort of shows it again and it's like, well, this is what he's got to drag himself yeah. through with his yeah. broken and leg. And you're like, oh, bloody hell, bloody hell.
2: I think as well with that that sort of, that note starts to bleed in when he's in the, the assay office or whatever, getting his uh, his find sort of assessed. That, that, it kind of bleeds into the sounds of the machinery that's happening as well and I think that's something that, that happens quite a lot in this film is, the sort of relationship between the action and, and the music is is really closely tied.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a lot to love and admire about this film. It's directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, who you yourself said is one of your favourite directors. It's got Daniel Day-Lewis in it, you know, one of the most highly respected actors working today in an Oscar-winning turn. You've got music by Johnny Greenwood. You've got the cinematography by Robert Elswit, who, besides having worked on many of Paul Thomas Anderson's projects also did work on things like Red Belt and more recently Nightcrawler. So there's a lot to admire, but let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Joe, Joe, why do you love this film?
2: Well, I guess I love, (laughs) I love the film because like the score, uh, the film itself is this sort of strange blend of the classical and the modern. So there's, it's, you can see sort of touchstones of old old films, like uh, I know that The Treasure of the Sierra Madre was a, a big influence on, on this film. Uh, you can also see a touch of uh, maybe Citizen Kane by Orson Welles. And you can see the all these sort of touchstones that it, it, it harks back to, but it's doing these sort of things in quite a new, modern, challenging and kind of edgy way as well, really. Um, so I, I like that sort of combination of the classical and the modern. Um I think, as well, like you say, everyone in it is at the top of their game i mean the the soundtrack is incredible, the photography is incredible. the acting is incredible, and the the directing is incredible as well and the script is like so uh clever and layered with different sort of meanings or implications as well that even if there is long stretches of no dialogue you're you're certainly getting a lot of uh things that you can take away from it you, you know you're you're sort of seeing the the birth of basically the 20th century in America when America became the sort of this sort of global superpower so yeah i mean i think for for all those reasons that's why i love the film it's it's i mean i, I genuinely think it's one of the best films of our lifetime mm-hmm. really it's it's incredible i love it so much
0: <clears throat> you you mentioned uh Paul Dano in there, who for me is just one of those actors that whenever I see he pops up in something, I'm like, Well, here we go, this is gonna be a bit interesting because he's always he can he can do so so many different things. He can be the creep, he can be he can be quite charming, but he's always just very, very watchable I think. And like, you know, this rivalry that he builds with as Eli, this rivalry he builds with Daniel Plainview throughout, I mean that's that's one of the that that's kind of at the heart of the film, this conflict between business and church.
2: Yes, yes. Well, I think as well, what's interesting about Paul Dano is that uh, he wasn't originally cast as Eli. Mm. It was a different actor who was basically blown off the screen by Daniel Day Lewis. You have to be someone special to stand up to Daniel Day Lewis, especially when Daniel Day Lewis is giving it double barrel, full bore blast mm. of acting right in your face you know, a lot of people would wilt in in the face of that. And yeah. he actually holds his own and, and, you know, he's a good foil to Daniel Day-Lewis. And Day-Lewis got all the plaudits. Yeah. But really, he couldn't do that film if there wasn't... Because it,
0: it's essentially a two-hander, really. Yeah. So yeah, D- Daniel's great, great in it. I mean, there, there's two points that kind of sum up their relationship for me and it kind of it breaks down to to essentially two looks that daniel day lewis gives him in the film the first one's when like he he first meets eli when he's bringing him bringing him food when they're camping on his land and he just sort of turns and he looks at him and he for a minute he thinks oh well that's his that's his brother paul and he's taking him in and he's just and it's kind of a look of confusion and it's just like trying to suss him out and trying to figure out what's going on and it, you know he, he has a look that could burn a hole through a titanium wall or something and then there's the second one where he it's the baptism scene where we'll maybe talk about it in more length later but he like he he gets him to repeat oh you've abandoned your child and just before he like says it he just sort of of turns and looks up at him and just like no matter how long it takes me. I'm going to get you for this. You absolutely...
2: Well, not long after that, he, like, whispers something in his ear, yeah. which you never hear, but you kind of get the, the, the sort of idea of... It's basically, yeah, I will destroy you. It doesn't matter how long I have to wait. I will I will see you You've finished.
0: I mean, he is... I mean, Eli is kind of everything that the Plainview isn't in a lot, of, and certainly the way that he does his business. He's very sneaky. He's very underhanded about it. He sort of manipulates Daniel into kind of having to rely on the church and, like, manipulating them into um, giving donations and things like that. Whereas Plainview, you know, for all his faults, is very upfront and very forward about things, wants to do things with a handshake and just get on with things. And it's just just terrific as far as I'm I concerned.
2: think, though, that they're both two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. really, because there's this struggle for, like, power. And, and the way that uh, Daniel Plainview sort of views himself getting power is to be richer than anyone. Mm-hmm. And more, uh, I guess, well off than anyone, and so he can just retreat away from this. Whereas uh, Eli almost wants to be his his sort of sense of power is the the sort of religion, and mm. that he's a figurehead for this religion. So there's this sort of, but they both want to have this sense of control, like uh, the the scene where. Plainview's views first negotiating with the sunday family mm. uh, this is almost like you initially see oh right okay so he's got aspirations uh, eli's got aspirations of power he takes control of the situation he says okay i want money for my church instantly you know you realize oh okay so they both want to have this sense of control and power over their own surroundings uh, but they're approaching it from two different sides like you say but and it's always going to end in something terrible because these two colossus of uh and I guess as well, they they do represent sort of like you said, business and religion, and sort of two twin obsessions of of America in the twentieth century, especially with it being oil as well. Yeah.
0: And that meet, that that first scene where they're kind of at the, the table negotiating, you know, that that business v church. Thing is kind of exemplified at the end of it. He agrees to sell him the land, and Plainview goes for a handshake, and he like kind of takes his hand and takes his son's hand and kind of bows his head. And a yeah, 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 exactly. Player. Yeah,
2: as well when he asks him what church he belongs to, he's like, I, I like all faiths. You know, it doesn't matter. Just give me the money, basically.
1: When do we get our money, Daniel? <laughs> Aren't you a healer? For the Holy Spirit when are you coming over and make my son here again? Can't you do that? Let me bless the world <laughs> this happened Daniel yeah, no. you shouldn't have done that
2: oh, You owe the church of the third revelation 5,000 I One of oh. feel right for that we made <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: Don't even try it. Splash around in here. I'm going to bury you underground. Oh, oh. I'm gonna you underground?
0: So we have this rivalry between Daniel and Eli which goes on throughout the the other the other significant relationship obviously with uh, with uh, Daniel Plainview is that with his uh, bastard in a basket. Yeah, with, uh, yeah. HW let's talk about that because it's really his his only sort of the only time he shows any affection is towards his son is only kind of when he shows these like basic human characteristics or are, are towards him. He confesses later in the film that, Oh, I only used you for business purposes. I mean, I mean do you buy into that or do you think there was uh there was real affection to the relationship? Oh well,
2: I, I mean, I think there was a genuine affection there and I think that uh, Anderson kinda of wants us to realise that as well because as he's saying this, you're then getting sort of flashbacks of HW as a child and Sort of having some kind of tender moments with with Daniel Plainview. I think by that point as well in the, in the story, uh, like Plainview's reached the natural endpoint of his like burning ambition, and he's just this husk of a man mm-hmm. who just sits drinking and, and shooting at furniture in his his big Xanadu style <laughs> mansion. So you know, I think it's it's more that that he is so because that he he wants to establish a different oil company, and this there's this competition in. Uh, Daniel Plainview, as he says, I have a competition in me, mm. can't stand to see other people succeed. And uh, again, it's this sort of power and control. And so when he sort of decides to strike out on his own, he just instantly is, you know, an impulse reaction as well. I think he's extremely drunk during that <laughs> scene. But no, I, I mean, I do think that there is, because like you say, he does show a lot of tenderness towards them, mm-hmm. um, even though it is kind of implied throughout that, like, get, it must be easy for you to get these people to. to deals with you when you've got this lovely little boy with you
0: yeah and th- I mean there's the scene where he has his accident where HW has his accident and he is uh, you know he loses his hearing as a result and you know he does show the concern and he runs in with them. but at the end of the day you know he gets him gets him out of harm's way but he leaves him leaves him when he's uh, well it's only when it's the only when the, the
2: Derek goes up though when it goes mm-hmm. ablaze and he has to go out and then by that point he's just swept up in the whole thing. That's an incredible sequence, by the way. I just oh, yeah. wanted to like That is fantastic. That was the, one of the things I really took away from my first watching of it mm-hmm. was that with the uh, sort of percussion on the score that just sort of... It's all off-kilter and all over the shop, but there's this real sort of driving momentum to it. The camera's just tracking along and you're seeing all this crazy stuff happening in the background the, the oil derrick goes ablaze and then it shows you Eli looking out from his church and it's almost like hell is opened up on his his own <laughs> patch and it's spewing flames out and it's such a like such a excellent like it, it gets across pretty much all of the main sort of points of the, the film mm-hmm. in this sort of five minute sequence that's really driving and powerful and a fantastic piece of filmmaking
0: and it never would have happened if he'd just let Eli say his blessing exactly
2: exactly <laughs>
0: Johnny Greenwood I mean how important is the score to the, to the film as a piece
2: well I think th- I mean there's not that many films and I think the films that I've sort of spoke about uh, in the past with you especially like 2001 and Koyaanisqatsi there's a real strong relationship between the music and the image whether it's the, just the, the constant Philip Glass music through Koyaanisqatsi or the way that uh, Kubrick sort of matches up uh, the Blue Danube waltz with the sort of spinning uh, spaceships and docking and stuff and there's this sort of matching up of, of the sound and the image and I think that really this score is almost as important as the photography really for, for the film, the way that it works the, the way that the... Um, like, okay, so there's a sequence where... Uh, Daniel Plainview and HW are arriving in in Little Boston and they're driving in their car and there's this lovely tracking shot of them following it down. And as they're sort of going behind things and you can't hear the engine so much, the, the music also has this sort of strange lull to it as well. Or there's a scene where there's a train arriving and the music, it's already sort of queued you up for the fact that there'll be a train arriving because you've got this like... <laughs> and then sure enough, along comes a train and you're, you're there, you know, and it's, it's actually working. I don't know how they, how they sort of did if it they, if they worked in tandem or if it was just a really painstakingly... Crafted score. I'm not entirely sure about the, the working process. I know that it didn't get, uh, it wasn't eligible for, for any Oscar nominations. Yeah, so. it was
0: some ridiculous technicality or, or, or of some kind, but yeah, I mean, what a, what a shock the, the people of the, the, the Academy the, yeah. behind the times They, all, they the, all the, the
2: music balls. ones are quite strange though. There, mm-hmm. There's some really weird arcane rules in there. The, the Birdman soundtrack wasn't eligible either, I believe, yeah. because it was just drums or something. Something like that.
0: Uh, I mean, it, it is a remarkable, remarkable uh, uh, soundtrack. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you for coming, Brother Daniel.
1: Thank you, Eli. We have a sinner with us here who wishes for salvation. Daniel, are you a sinner? Yes. Oh, the Lord can't hear you, Daniel. Say it to him. Go ahead and speak to him. It's all right. Yes. Down on your knees and to him. Look up to the sky and say it. What do you want me to say?
2: Daniel, you've come here and you've brought good and wealth, but you have also brought your bad habits as a backslider. You've lusted after women and you have abandoned your child. Your child that you raised, you have abandoned all because he was sick and you have
1: sinned. So say it now, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Say it louder, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Louder, Daniel, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I am sorry, Lord. I am sorry, Lord. I want the blood. want the blood. You have abandoned your child. I've abandoned my child. I will never backslide. I will never backslide. I
0: was
2: lost, but now
1: I am found. I was lost, but now I'm found. I have abandoned my child. Say it. Say it. I abandoned my child. Say
2: it louder. Say it
1: louder. I've abandoned my child! I've abandoned my child! I've abandoned my boy! Beg for the
2: blood!
1: Give me the blood, lie. Let me get out of here. Give me the blood, Lord, and let me get away.
2: Do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes,
1: I do. Get out of here, devil! Oh, out, oh, devil! Oh, out, oh, devil. Oh, out oh, sin! Oh, do you accept the church of the third oh, revelation oh, as your spiritual guide? Get out of here! Jesus Christ as your Savior. Yes, I do. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the (laughs) power in the blood. Rescue me, victory win. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power. community. new day.
0: wonderful, wonderful day God
1: bless you. God bless you.
0: Hallelujah.
1: That's enough.
0: Do you want to talk a little bit more about the baptism scene? Is that well, is the bapt? Yeah, yeah. I think I think the baptism
2: scenes, uh, probably, uh, because the the end scene is sort of the the actual conclusion of that baptism mm-hmm. scene, um, and the end scene's quite famous, and a lot of people have spoofed it and pasted it. But I think that really you need to have that baptism scene to understand what that's. Otherwise, it's just a man shouting and raving. Yeah. So the baptism scene is is really sort of. It's really good because I think it's one of the only times where Plainview has to cede some kind of power mm-hmm. to someone else, and you can tell that he hates it. <laughs> he hates it, and he's trying to be so flippant through it as well. Mm-hmm. When he's like, "Oh yeah, give me the blood. Go on, give me the blood, Eli. Uh, whatever. Give me the blood. Eli. Yeah, yeah. No. And then he, after he's been through this ritual humiliation." just this smile spreads across his face as well. And he's like, that's a pipeline. That's the pipeline. I've got it. That's in the bag. It doesn't matter now. I've done all this. I don't care. I don't care.
0: And you, and you can see, like, on Eli's face as well, because, like, even though this is kind of Eli's big victory over him, you can see, like, after it's done and he's shaking hands with him, you can see from the smile on his face that Eli is, like, rattled. He's like, oh, God, what have yeah. I done? Yeah, what have I done? Yeah, I've unleashed something here. But essentially he's kind of handed... He 's given him more power in kind of emasculating himself and humbling in front of the community the community are now like, "Oh yeah he's one of us, he's yeah, yeah because
2: then he immediately sits within the body of the church mm-hmm. and they 're all sitting around him and saying, "Oh yeah welcome, welcome, and it's completely backfired on eli yeah it's yeah it's a really again it's really clever because there's these things aren 't said explicitly, but you sort of can see it from from what 's happening it's um yeah it's it 's a really good scene, I think as well the um the, the shot of that when he's sort of on his knees and you're kind of getting this slightly upward angled shot as well is a, a really sort of evocative of this spiritual sort of understanding but then it's completely undercut by the fact that Daniel Plainview just doesn't mean a word of what he's saying it's it's a really clever scene a really good scene
0: I think like it's kind of testament to the the performances from the two of them when it kind of breaks down to when Paul Dano is just slapping him about in the, across the face. I mean, if you just remove that image, like if you were to make a GIF of it, it would just look a little bit a little bit ridiculous if that yeah. is going on. But you're just you're you're totally into it. And then yeah, I mean, it is linked with that that end sequence and its complete role reversal. You know, Eli has come to him and he's kind of the smug Eli in this case is kind of smug and he's like, oh, I'm gonna going to set up this meeting between you and it uh, yeah, uh, yeah. just completely turns the table on him. He
2: does, he does. And a lot of people I know, when it came out initially, a lot of people were really unhappy with that ending. They thought it was, it went way over the top. Whereas I kind of viewed it as this sort of natural, like both of these guys are such extreme characters mm-hmm. um, that they are they are going to end up going to really extreme lengths when they reach the, the end point of the, their, their character arc. Mm-hmm. And Plainview's so driven in basically there's a sort of madness to his obsession as well Mm -hmm. that is fully realised by the end of the film Mm -hmm. and also uh, the the whole I drink your milkshake thing as much I mean that's as well I haven't watched I mean I've watched this film a lot of times I used to alternate it for it was my Sunday afternoon film with The Hangover, right. so I'd swap it between that and The Dark Knight for like about six months or something. So I've seen it a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, it got to the point where I was actually asked, "Please don't watch that. Can we watch something <laughs> Wayne's World or something instead?" Um, but so I mean, I, I've gone through sort of lots of different phases. So there was that a sort of a phase, I guess, where like I just reveled in the the hammy theatrics of uh, of Daniel. Daniel Day Lewis in that that final sequence, but then again, as as a sort of I've come full circle again, I guess where I, I'm sort of a bit more okay, yeah, no, this is actually a logical sort of natural progression for this character.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I I watched this film again very recently in preparation to to doing the podcast. It was the third time I'd seen it. I saw it in the cinema and was was left kind of an on it and maybe not in full appreciation of everything I'd just seen like I definitely admired it but it wasn't until the second viewing where I was like oh that there's something very very special about that and even like this third time coming round again and I get I guess like I just took more and more from it and Again, I, I think on the first viewing, I might have been one of those people to have been like, yeah, the ending, you know, it's just, it didn't really work for me, but it, it's, it's the perfect ending. It's an absolutely yeah. perfect ending, because it does link back to that key sequence with the baptism, and it's just, yeah, it's just one gloriously wonderful.
2: And it does promise you blood in the title, and you're waiting for that blood, and you know it's going to come, and you know it's going to
0: come. Yeah, uh, yeah, they <laughs> certainly bring it on. All right, um... There's there's very little conflict here between us, but let's let's for the sake of going through the motions. Why 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 should there would be blood to go into the Hall of Fame? What makes it that much? What what sets it apart from from everything else?
2: Okay, well I'd say that um, it's it's a film that harks back to cinema of the past but also gives uh, a sort of a new direction for, for cinema of the future it came out at a point as well where there were a lot of sort of neo-westerns coming out at that time so Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford the most uncum, uh, unwieldy title ever and uh, No Country for Old Men as well I think was about the same time um, and although both of those films are also quite sort of uh, daring or Quite edgy or modern, they don't have the same level of classicism to them that, like, I, I think that that sort of marriage of it acts as a natural bridging point, really, between like the sort of the film of the cinema of the twentieth century and the cinema of what hopefully the twenty-first century would be. I would also say it's Paul Thomas Anderson is probably the, the best working American director anyway uh, at the moment, and I'd say it was probably his masterpiece. It's the film I, I would imagine he he's remembered for. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not to say that his other films are are going to be rubbish or anything. You know, uh, Hitchcock will be remembered for Vertigo. That doesn't make Psycho a bad film. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think there's that. There's that as well. Um, And I think that it's very rare that you find a film that has such a, a... strong level of uh, synchronicity between sound image performance writing direction everything's working in tandem with something it feels really lived in it feels like a really lived in world there's stuff happening in the background that you know doesn't really need to be there but you just you you see it and it brings this extra level of depth to it Um, I I mean I love the photography in the film as well Mm. I love the photography in the film and like you say I hate dialogue in cinema so it's got 15 (laughs) minutes of no one talking
0: yeah, it's the anti-Tarantino.
2: <laughs> I like Tarantino no, as well. I, I know, mean, I, I do either. like dialogue. It's, uh, but yeah, I mean, more people should uh, shut up in films.
0: So I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when, when, when they do speak, I mean, that opening speech for it's ladies and gentlemen travel many miles to be here with you today. It's just
2: from his well in Coyote Falls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's an oil man, and that's I think as well the the way that like because they withhold his voice for so long. Mm-hmm. When you do hear it, and he's got this really great voice, like such a great voice, a really strong. Mm-hmm. Act. Apparently, based it on uh, John Houston. And if you yeah, watch, if you rewatch that. Chinatown, actually, you can really hear the sort of similarities between John Houston and. Uh, Daniel Plainview. Gonna be a lot of irate citizens
1: when they find out that they're paying for water that they're not gonna get. Oh, that's all taken care of. See, Mr. Gitz, either you bring the water to L.A. or you bring L.A. to the water. How are you gonna do that? By incorporating the valley into the
2: city. Simple as that. But there's this, uh, real seductive quality to him, Mm -hmm. to the way that he talks. There's that scene as well where he's, uh, Talking to the people of Little Boston, it's a bit more of a successful pitch. His okay. first pitch isn't very successful. Um, but he's sort of really playing on them. So he's like, yeah, I, I've noticed, I, I know it's a sticking point, but bread, you don't yeah. really have bread around here, but don't worry, when I come and we, you know, we're going to rejuvenate everything, you'll have, you'll be able to have bread coming out of your ears and I'm going to build schools and churches and roads and I'm going to modernize it. And you're getting this sort of uh, overlaid, with this is the sort of images of them building all these things. Um, but there's also then at the same time, this really sort of mournful score of like, well, we're, we're kind of maybe, we're maybe losing something here here as well it's a, it's such a, a again like I say so you've got three different things going on there they're all working in tandem even if they're maybe doing different things they're all giving you one unified
0: message and it and that particular speech you mentioned is is just so perfect in in like how good but subtle the writing is because like as you mentioned he kind of he's given the pitch and he drops in the schools and he drops in the bread and you can just see you can just tell he's he's just sussed them out. He's taken in every little thing about this community. You know, the the minor little thing of the guy apologizing for not having the fact that they need schools, they need education. He's like, he's taken all of that in. He's taken in the importance of church in these people's lives and he's just using every... Every single piece of ammunition that he that he possibly can. He's
2: like the monorail guy in The Simpsons.
0: <laughs> he is like the monorail guy. Why doesn't he break out into song? I don't
2: know. I, I guess he, he would have. He would have if he had to. But they were already sold with just his pretty words. He didn't need to sing.
0: Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't say that they're, they're <laughs> like a mule with a pinwheel or whatever. <laughs> no one knows how they got it, and darned if they know how to use it. The name's Landley Lyle Landley, and I come before you, good people, tonight with an idea. Probably the greatest. Ah, oh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville idea. Now wait
2: just a minute. We're twice as smart as the people of Shelbyville. Just tell us your idea and we'll
0: vote for it. I, I get the feeling you could go on about this all day. I mean, is there is there anything we've missed?
2: Oh, there's tons but, uh, we've missed, but it's okay. I mean, uh, like I I could talk to you about this for like days. So I, you know, we might as well end it. End it whenever you want, Michael. All
0: right. Well. As I said, there, there's no conflict here. I, I love this film. I agree with every point that you've been made. I think, I I think I agree with you that it's one of the most significant films of our lifetime. I think it is easily top top five films of the 21st century. Easily, easily. I mean, there's definitely an argument you could be made of of being what the the best. You know, from from the acting, the score, the script, the the way it looks, and the the cinematography is absolutely fantastic. and you point it, and it seems like every every part of it gets its time to shine. You know, the score kind of really comes out in that opening fifteen minutes. Uh, you know, you get you get to see this the beautiful way that it's shot when the when the rig goes up and explodes. You get you know these little these monologues, and you get these moments. Everyone everything gets its chance to shine, and it all comes together to create something so fantastic. So obviously uh, it's going in obviously it's going in there was never really any doubt about that but you know we we could have tried to c- create conflict but uh, I don't think anyone would have anyone would have bought it so There Will Be Blood film number 16 onto into the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame so god damn it Joe you've done it again
2: what can I say what you know, can I say
0: bit of a bit of a master uh, <laughs> when it comes to the the old uh, Hi-Hat Film Podcast but uh yeah, it was a treat to watch this again. It was a treat to be able to talk to you about it. Uh, You're clearly, clearly someone that can speak very passionately about these about this film. So uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having us, Michael. Yeah, cheers. And uh, Celluloid Skeletons, the the podcast that you mentioned last time you were on the show, that is up and running now. It is. It's, it's
2: available to uh, subscribe to it on uh, iTunes. You can also find it on Telstar Film Review if you want to just stream it. Then- uh, two episodes out so far
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: another one coming out uh, maybe by the time this is out actually but I, I don't know about uh, the start of March
0: yep and that's going to be Hilary Swank your folks Hilary
2: Swank play. next one yeah yeah
0: I noticed that the guys from How Did This Get Made ripped off your Zardos episode. Yeah,
2: I know. I had to rush it out, actually. I was sort of sitting on it. I don't know why I was sitting on it for so long, but yeah, I had to rush it out in the end, so uh, just to beat them to the punch.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, I think you guys gave it a, a better going over than they did. But yeah, well,
2: we, we did some actual Sean Connery impressions.
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a cracking show, so I definitely would uh, recommend giving it a listen, but uh, thanks very much for being on again, Joe. Cheers. Right.
1: I want you to look over there. Daniel let me introduce... look over there you see that's my son you see him yes you see I see him you don't tell me how to raise my family <clears throat> I told you not to tell me how to raise my family Daniel so what do you see I'm very happy for you that yes, I made went. a deal with Union. My son is happy. He's safe. Congratulations. I'm taking care of him now, so excellent. You look like a fool, don't you, Tilford? <gasps> yes. Sh- 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 yes. Yes, you do. Excuse me, gentlemen. Oh, excuse me, gentlemen. Excuse him, gentlemen. I told you what I was going to do. The hi-hat Hall the same. And I'm
0: sick of the hi-hat! So there you have it. If there was ever any doubt, there will be blood. Film number 16 to enter the Hall of Fame. It sits alongside The Big Lebowski, Princess Mononoke, Theatre of Blood, Fight Club, Kill List, Stand By Me, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, Jaws, Koyaanaskatsi, Total Recall, Sideways, The Raid, Alien, Cinema Paradiso and The Wages of Fear. Sorry to Rob Fuller. A massive thanks again to Joe for being on the show. Be sure to give Celluloid Skeletons a listen as it is a great show in which they do a retrospective on popular actors' careers before looking at one of their more bizarre films in their back catalogue. So far, they've done things like Sean Connery, they've featured uh, Meryl Streep. Their latest episode is going to be on Hilary Swank. It's definitely worth a listen. That's about it for me. As always, be sure to download, subscribe, and leave a review for the show on iTunes. I know I say it every week, but leaving a positive review helps the show reach a bigger audience. So if you can take 30 seconds out of your day to leave a review on there, I will be your friend forever. You can also join in the Fun and Games over on Facebook. Just run a search for the Hi-Hat Film Podcast, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Clancy Hi-Hat. Thanks for listening. I will leave you with the final words of Dr. Hannibal Lecter in this Silence of the Lambs. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for you. We came, we saw, we kicked it down. Give me my
1: 20,000 in can. We came, we saw, we kicked it down. I think you woke up the dead with that blast. We came, we
2: saw, we kicked it down. I think fast, I talk fast.
0: We can go to
1: court and we can prove it was suicide. Oh, can we? Mr. Norton, first thing that struck me was that suicide angle. Only well, I dumped it into the waste paper basket just three seconds later. You know, you uh, ought to take a look at these statistics on suicide sometime. You might learn a little something about the insurance business. Mr. Keyes, I was raised in the insurance business. Yeah, in the front office. Come now, you've never read an actuarial table in your life, have you? Why, have got ten volumes on suicide alone. Suicide by race, by color, by occupation, by sex, by seasons of the year, by time of day. Suicide, how committed? By poisons, by firearms, by drowning, by leaps. Suicide by poison, subdivided by types of poison, such as corrosive, irritant, systemic, gaseous, narcotic, alkaloid, protein, and so forth. Suicide by leaps, subdivided by leaps from high places, under the wheels of trains, under the wheels of trucks, under the feet of horses, from steamboats. But, Mr. Norton, of all the cases on record, there's not one single case of suicide by leap from the rear end of a moving train. And you know how fast that train was going at the point where the body was found? 15 miles an hour. Now, how can anybody jump off a slow-moving train like that with any kind of expectation that he would kill himself? No, no soap, Mr. Norton. We're sunk, and we'll have to pay through the nose, and you know it. May I have this? Come on, Walter. Next time, I'll rent a tuxedo.